<clears throat> you don't have to do that. You don't clap for teachers at school, and that's what this is, film school. I'm just kidding. That was a marketing device. This is not an accredited course. <laughs> I just want everybody to know that. Uh, but you will. If you pay attention for the next 10 weeks, you're going to fucking learn something. Trust me. I'm going to pound it in your head before you get out of here. Welcome to uh, the third episode of Red State of the Union Q&As. Uh, I'm Kevin Smith, and tonight... Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the man sitting to my left is literally my eyes in this life, uh, as far as my arts go. Uh, this is David Klein, my director of photography. Everybody say hello. Thanks. Hello, everybody. Um, just we'll do some uh, history and some bio stuff and talk about filmmaking in general, and then we'll do some Red State-specific stuff. But to start off, you and I met at the Vancouver Film School. We were in class, was it 25? 25. Class 25, which uh, uh, featured, uh, didn't feature, we were just three people in the class, me, you, and Mosier. That's where we met. And uh, Dave, to be fair, uh, the connection was with Mosier first. Like, basically, I hung out with Moj when I was at film school for the first few months. And then right before, right when I dropped out, you guys started hanging out, excuse me, more and more and more. Um, so much so that when I left film school, I, I said to Scott, like, hey, man, whoever writes a script first, because Scott was going to write a script as well and did write a script. I said, whoever writes a script first, uh, let's promise the other one goes to help. So if I, I finish for, uh, a script first, you come out, help me. You finish first, I'll come back out here and help you. And he's like, great. So when he finished, I left. He finished film school with you. The two of you has finished the Vancouver Film School. It was only an eight-month course. But to be fair, you finished and I couldn't. So it's still an accomplishment. Um when uh, when we were done, uh, basically, uh, clerks wound up being in more fighting shape, I guess, than anything else. So Scott was like, let's do yours. Let's go out and do yours. And I had been talking about, there was an uh, AIVF was a magazine, uh, East Coast independent film magazine. In the back of that, I had seen an ad for a DP, um, the guy who shot Whit Stillman's film Metropolitan. But uh, he he was the guy that I was pushing to Scott. I was like, this dude comes with his own package. We can pay him. It says like a thousand bucks a week or something like that. He'll bring his own gear. And he shot a movie. We know what the movie he looks, uh, looks like shot. You know, we could see it. We could see his previous work. And Scott was just like, I don't know, man, we should bring Dave because why would you want to work with somebody that like might know more than us? And I was just like, so <laughs> you're advocating hiring the less experienced guy. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I think it'll be a better fit. And so, um, you and I, who didn't really hang out that much in film school, if at all, really kind of got together on Clerks. Um, uh, as we've talked about in, in uh, I think, the Chasing Amy documentary on the DVD, um, when we finished uh, Chasing Amy and we took it to Sundance, uh, Harvey Weinstein made one of the provisions of financing dogma that we couldn't use Joey Lord and Adams uh, as Bethany and we couldn't bring Dave back as the DP. Um, and it kind of killed Sundance that year for us personally. It was not a lot of fun. No, no, it was bad. It, I mean, I was it's, talking it's, about me, but yeah, it must have been really bad for yeah, you. It, it sucked pretty hard. Yeah. It's usually a pretty good time, but that year, not so much. You and I didn't work together for 10 years. The next time we, well, I mean, yeah, we did one or two about, things here or there, like the. We the did short, the commercials. 
We did the Diet the commercials, Coke commercials yes, shortly yes. after that. But then it was, I think it was about nine and a half, almost ten years. That we didn't work together. That's right. Now, we were heading into Clerks 2, and uh, the only thing, uh, one of the only things that we asked for in regards to the movie was, like, we have to be able to bring Dave back, because they started making noise at the Weinstein Company about, like, well, do you, why do you want to bring Dave back? We were like, well, it, dude, every other flick, you know, you can point to a larger budget and say you wanted... What was then more experienced? Dave's been shooting ever since. He's still working to this day, but more importantly, he shot the original, and we don't want to do it without him. They caved, and when you came back in, and that was where suddenly I was more into what the movie looked like than I ever had been prior. Because up until then, and especially in the early days, it was like what it looks like. Who gives a shit? Set the camera up, let them stand in front of it, and they'll just talk. That's all that matters. But then, you know, as you do something long enough, you just start to pay more attention to the shit that you did, and you can't help but get better at something, or at least try to get better at it. And so I started paying more attention to the visuals. And Clerks 2, I thought, was like our best-looking film, or the best film, a best-looking film I'd ever worked on at that point. And I, at the end of the movie, I was just like, I will never shoot anything without you ever again. And and that I've maintained it like we the next thing we did together was reaper then we went and did zach and mary then we did cop out and now we've we've done red state but there was that 10-year fucking gap where we didn't work together what were you doing during the 10 years besides being like fuck kevin and scott well that (laughs) fucking jerks (laughs) that was it really (laughs) no i you know the first thing that happened to me after after uh chasing amy once we got once we broke up, right. I consider that a period we were broken up. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I would go out for interviews, a lot of interviews, and I had just moved to LA after that, and right. uh, I went to a lot of interviews. And the first question I always got asked was, "Why aren't you, or why didn't you shoot Dogma?" Right. And I would tell my version of it, which was, you know, what I knew to be the truth. Right. And, and then, you know, and I invariably wouldn't get the job. And <laughs> and I thought about that a lot. And and one thing I came to realize that was that for one reason or another. These people don't want me, not meaning you, but mainly Miramax. They don't want me shooting these movies. Right. And so I took that to mean I, I need to get better at what I do. So I basically went out for those 10 years and worked, you know, shot a lot of independent films and shot a lot. I started doing TV. Mm-hmm. I did a couple of TV series. Uh, and I just kind of worked and studied the craft. And, and, and then when we got back together, it was 10 years later. We were still great friends, but yeah, we yeah. both brought on both sides, you know, 10 years of experience working, you know, with other people, me with other directors, you with other cinematographers. And I think we brought that 10 years of experience back to what was already a great friendship. And there was something nice about being able to just have a kind of shorthand or also not be afraid. Like I worked with some cats who were fucking huge, huge cinematographers, uh, legendary. And it would be, you never want to suggest something because you try and then you get that look of like, what are you fucking dumb? Like, how many movies have you direct? Are you sure you're the fucking Clark's guy? You know, so I never yeah, at a certain point, once you get that look, you don't ever want to bring up another suggestion and shit for, you know, for, for fear of looking like a dick in front of a true master of the craft. So it was nice to be able to work with somebody that I was there was never any moment of intimidation where I was like, I don't want to ask him this. I would just ask you and you'd be like. Yeah, let's give it a shot. There was never a fucking like, oh, what are you fucking dumb? Oh, I knew you were fat, but dumb, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. It was always just like, you know what? Even if it was shit that inside you were like, I can't believe this guy's as fucking retarded as he is. You just kept on the surface. You were like, you know what? Let's give it a shot and you give it a shot. And if it worked great, if it didn't, we found another way. But at least the, the attempt was there and there was never this kind of condescension. 
there was a moment on the last movie on Cop Out when Dave and I went to do that flick. We didn't bring anybody. We couldn't. It was a, we were really guns for hire. So we couldn't really bring anybody that we'd worked with on the previous flicks. It was just basically me and Dave. So there were some cats that we had worked with previously or I'd worked with for a long time that were, didn't get to go along and, you know, weren't very happy about it. You know what I'm saying? They weren't bitter and shit and banging pots, but definitely kind of like, why? What did I do? And it was never like, what did you, it had nothing to do with that. It's just like, I got to work. I'm working for these cats. Those other movies, those were my movies that somebody paid me to do. But this one, this is a movie I've been hired to direct. So these cats have a say over all that kind of stuff. So, but we, you and I were talking and I, without naming names, we were talking about one specific case where I was just like, I feel bad, man, because like the, the dude's just kind of now out there and, and he's, we're not bringing him on this one and shit. And Dave was just like, you know what, man, I was cut out for 10 years and I didn't bitch. I just worked on my craft. Fuck. I was that guy for 10 years. Yeah. You were like, I was on the fucking outside and instead of fucking like kicking rocks about it and shit, I, I did something else about it. I worked and you developed a set of fucking muscles to the point where it was impossible not to fucking bring you back like you be, you made yourself absolutely fucking essential that's it like now the package is you and i you know what i'm saying it's like i don't go anywhere unless he goes it doesn't go the other way because you just got a pretty sweet gig on on um on true blood true blood but didn't get me a job too but whatever um <laughs> I see how it goes. How I'm going to pay you back for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like, now it's your turn. Build your fucking craft. <laughs> um, <laughs> which you need, Smith. How, um, how has it been going? So, this is a different world for you in terms of doing a, 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 an episodic work. But they shoot like a movie. It looks like a movie every week. It, it is. It's, it's uh, you know, the way that they shoot that show is, is similar to uh, a lot of other episodic shows where... Uh, you know, I alternate, so I'm going to shoot every other episode. And a lot of, you know, a lot of studios do that. Some studios don't do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the only, the biggest, the other biggest show I did, uh, prior to this was Pushing Daisies. And I was, you know, I was the second unit cameraman to Mike Weaver. And then, uh, he had some issues the second season. So I filled in and shot, you know, three or four episodes that second season, mm -hmm. full episodes. And, but there was no time to prep. Whereas on, on True Blood and some of these other shows where you alternate, you know, I get a chance to prep. So in that sense, it's a lot like a movie where I'm prepping for almost two weeks with the director before we go and shoot the episode. Uh, and in that respect, it is like a, it's like a small movie every, every episode. How much prep time did you have on Red State for comparison? You know, I, I was there for five weeks, but then I, th I think it was either three or four that I was paid for. Right, right, right. Now, and, what is, explain prep real quick for those of us that are like, huh? Well, Which includes me. I'm like, what is prep, Dave? <laughs> My well, prep was I was in my office getting high constantly. I was like, I'll be there soon. <laughs> Red State. <laughs> <laughs> Your prep was a lot different. In fact, and we'll go into it after we show the clip uh, specific to Red State and how what a fucking savior you were on the picture and a co-driver. There is a directing department. You know, they make uh, on movies. There's like hair department and vanities and hair makeup gaffers uh you know craft service naturally i think about the food but there's a whole bunch of uh, different departments but directors never have a department it's just the director but there really is kind of a director department and that includes the director the assistant director and the director of photography and the three of us really kind of put this movie together this one definitely i leaned on you very very heavily and leaned on adam uh juxman our ad very very heavily as well particularly in prep so much so that i was kind of 
almost non-existent in prep. This was the first movie that I implemented what I felt like would be the, the way I want to work forever, which is like, you do it. I'll be there when it's ready. <laughs> and it's worked out beautifully. But what was it like in all that prep? Like, Well, you know, my prep usually starts with, with you know, talking to you. And we, we sat together on a four or five days and, and did a shot list. Mm. And we'll, we'll get into the shot list later. Right. But, and, and that, not only does that kind of give me a guide where we're going to go in terms of shots, but also when we talk about shots for a specific scene, it really gives me the tone of a scene. Mm-hmm. So even if, if we're not going to stick to that shot list, it, it, it really tells me how, you know, we should light that scene and the mood that, that that scene should have and that sort of thing. And then taking that, I go and I prep and, and, you know, we assemble a crew and you decide all the equipment that you need and that sort of thing. And, and you see all the locations and mm-hmm. Adam Droxman and I sat together for a couple of days and went through the script beginning to end. And, and I told him all the shots that I thought we were going to do, or I knew we were going to do, mm. which gave him, you know, more ammunition to go to the other departments and disseminate that information. That that's basically where my prep starts. And then it, it evolves and turns into something else. Uh, but it all, always starts with, you know, sitting down with you and figuring out how we're going to shoot the movie. Right. Like I remember from, from the jump when I wrote it, I kept talking about uh, half Nelson. I was like, one day I want to make, if we, when we make Red State, I want it to have this look and feel of half Nelson. And you always try to zero in on what that exactly means rather than being like, okay, yeah, let's just make it look like half Nelson. You're like, what does he mean when he says that? And we kind of went through the different variations in terms of was it about the grain size of that movie? Was that what I was reacting to or whatnot? And it ultimately came down to like, it's just handheld. I think it was, it was also, it's handheld, but also kind of the way that it's lit and kind of a feeling. And there, there's, there's a certain amount of, of grit to it, mm-hmm. you know, where it, where it's very real and, and, you know, I can't say the lighting's not refined because I think we did some really good lighting in this movie, but, but it's not as refined as, as some of the bigger things we've done. And, and that, that's kind of, that's born out of wanting it to look gritty like you wanted it to look. But also, you know, I knew that we were crunched in terms of, of manpower, gear and the schedule. You know, yeah. we didn't have a lot of time. So, you know, that, that kind of starts to shape the look of the movie also, more so in terms, in creative terms, where you decide this is how you're going to light the movie and this is what you're going to make it look like based on the fact that I only have, you know, this many people and mm. I only have this much gear and we only have this much time. That's a lot to hold in the head of a little kid from fucking Idaho. <laughs> um, where, give a little background. You were born in Idaho? No, I was born in Missouri, but I grew up in Idaho and, uh, you know, small town just outside of Boise, mm-hmm. and I was going to college just out out of uh, out of high school, and I, I basically dropped out of college to go to the Vancouver Film School because I used to find, you know, for whatever reason, in the small town I grew up in, American Cinematographer was one of the magazines they had at the at the B Dalton bookstore, right. and I would read it, and and in the back of that every month was an ad for the Vancouver Film School. And I think you got it from the Village Voice, Village right? Voice is they used to me. advertise huge. That's yeah. yeah, cool. yeah. And, you know, I, I liked the fact that, that they were advertising no theory and all hands on. They also had something that nobody else was offering at that point. Now you find it everywhere, like the Los Angeles Film School, the New York Film Academy, all these different places that are kind of like, you come in for a year, we're going to give you everything you need. It's not accredited, but it's, we're going to, it's a fucking school and you're going to leave here knowing how to make a movie. Sometimes it's one year, sometimes it's two years. This place was eight months, and they were the only ones outside of a film school offering a film program. The fact that it was so short was what was kind of appetizing to me, because I just wanted to get started. Why did you want to do... I I kind of felt the same way. I wanted to get started, and I had been accepted to uh, uh, Art Center in Pasadena mm-hmm. and also UCLA, 
but they were much longer programs. And right. I was antsy, you know, and I'd already spent some time in college and I just, I just wanted to get my hands dirty and get, get going. That was one of the things that appealed to me. When did you know you wanted to be a DP and what drew you to it? Why, why that? You know, I was always into photography and in, in high school, I was into still photography and my grandfather gave me a, a 16 millimeter Bolex when I graduated from high school and I shot a lot with that. Uh, I always thought I wanted to be a director, uh-huh. but then as I kind of learned the difference between a director and a, and a director of photography, I, I, I realized that the cinematographer, the way that a cinematographer does his job, that's how I was thinking. I wasn't thinking in terms of authoring performances. Right, right, right. I was thinking in terms of you know telling a story with the camera and with the lighting and that sort of thing. And so it was around the time that I got to Vancouver that I realized that I, you know directing wasn't my path, that I wanted to be a cinematographer. And now how old were you when you shot Clerks? I was 20. How old are you now? 37. 37? Mooch. Um, <laughs> wow, man, not even fucking 48. You started like a pup. I was 23, but you were fucking even younger. You were the puppy. Yeah, I remember when the night we wrapped Clerks, somebody said, hey, Dave, go get some beer. And I was like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> somebody had to go with me. <laughs> Um, let's, uh, let's take a look at what we've been up to. Uh, just a caveat or, or disclaimer throwing out there, uh, as we've done with the previous two editions of the, of the show, we've got a big screen here at Smog Castle and we project from a, a very standard projector in the back and we're projecting from, a, uh, an MPEG clip. So it's not a uh, high quality by any stretch of the imagination, but it looks surprisingly good. Y'all just watch the teaser and that looked pretty decent, right? Um, I know it kills Dave. He's sitting here behind the curtain going, I fucking hate this. You know, <laughs> DP wants it to look as good as fucking possible. But I, I think, uh, when you see the flick finished, you'll see how good it does look. But this, I think, translates for the time being. Um, so let's kick back, watch this, uh, and then afterwards we'll chat some more. How are we going to do this? How do you mean? I'm talking about if you're going to fuck her in the ass, and while well, I'm fucking her in that vagtastic. How? <laughs> oh. oh! Or what? It means pussy, stupid ass. <laughs> How are you going to get under us? What are you talking about? <laughs> Me and the lady. You, you fucking... What are you? <laughs> this is what happens to fucking parents block porn sites, man. They make socially backwards kids. How about you just pull over and let me out? Oh, come on, man. I'm just kidding, man. Here's what's going to happen. She is going to be on top of you, and you're going to be spreading them cheeks open, and I'm going to be behind you pounding that ass. And where will Travis be? Why are you so concerned with the mechanics of how this thing works, man? If you can stop yourself from sucking on Travis's balls... But I mean, it would be much cooler if you did suck my balls. <laughs> a lot sexier. Not an option. <laughs> Look at you. Stop just, dropping just balls. Just lick him a little bit. Just drop oh, You hit it! You fucking oh. hit it! <laughs> Um, uh, the, uh, context, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the content of the scene. You talk about the look. Content of the scene, what I dig is it's kind of the last vestige of, uh, the kind of movies I used to do, uh, or used to enjoy doing and now I can't really do anymore. Um, there's pussy talk. And this is like, if you can divide red state up into three sections, cause red state to me is 
kind of a movie about the three things you're never supposed to discuss publicly, uh, sex, religion, and politics. The first, uh, well, I wouldn't even call it the first third. The first 17 minutes of the movie are about sex. The next hour of the movie, or maybe 45 minutes to an hour of the movie, is about religion. And then the last third of the movie is pretty much about politics. Um, so in, in terms of doing sex, it's kind of like, the last chance that that I that I get to do any sort of uh, type of humor that I'm used to doing, and kind of layered in there a little bit. Like uh, it, it, we play it more naturalistically. You can kind of see and, and hear uh, from from the scene, but it still kind of calls back to like what I used to do. And then it, it's interrupted by the by the the hit the hit that happens, and it's kind of like. As you're watching the movie, that's the jumping off point too, uh, where you go, oh, I, 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 the movie's full of like, you think it's going here and it does go there. And then suddenly we go left. And then just when you catch up to it, there it goes right and kind of does a lot of twisty, not in an M night Shyamalan kind of way, but, uh, but a little twisty turvy attorney uh, kind of thing. But the, um, um, that's in terms of the content, the look of the scene, I'm going to let you address. How do we shoot that shit? You know, this was, uh, Adam Druxman, our first AD, uh, came to me with the idea of shooting this rear screen projection, and and it you know had to do with making the schedule work because to do what we just did in that scene practically means you're driving at night and and it it takes a long time you know yeah. you're, you're putting a car in a trailer you're towing it you're lighting it and and every time you turn around you know you'll have a loop that you take and then every time you reset to do another take you you make a loop and it's you know it's it just it adds up to a lot of time. The actual shooting time work. is probably about uh, 60% of the time you actually spend working to shoot it. And so to make the, the, the schedule work, Adam mm-hmm. came to me and said, hey, we should try and do this this rear, rear screen projection. And uh, I was hesitant because in order to do that, you usually need a lot of space and you need resources that we didn't necessarily have. But we kind of scraped it together and we found a, uh, you know, a small space we kind of turned into a stage. And, and we set up the rear screen, the, the screens and projected the, the, the background on the screens and then lit the car mm. in a way that I think is interesting and it doesn't look like a movie that we've made before. Not and, at all. you know, a lot of, you know, uh, my longtime gaffer, Jeremy Graham, who's here tonight, he introduced me to this, this, uh, ribbon light that is basically LEDs and a piece of tape. And I hadn't used it before. And we, I used that a lot on the in- interior of this car, mm-hmm. along with some other light panels and some other things, uh, and some lights outside the car. But I think it really, it kind of created its own look for this, this scene where there's this nice ambient light. It looks very realistic and it's not just the standard dashboard lights right. that you always see because, you know, we put those strips all over the car. Um, uh, and I think it, it, because of all these factors, the fact that we went into the rear screen projection idea and, and what Jeremy brought to the table and just the way it all turned out, I think it turned out really nicely. And so it's, it's a scene that doesn't look like something we've done before. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it, because of the dialogue, it feels like a scene that we've done before, like you're talking about. Very much so. And the, it, it, the movie's like that in general. Yeah. The whole fucking movie doesn't look like anything we've ever done before. But because of the content, not so much the dialogue, because of the content, there's, you just go, oh, I think it might, yeah, I think it feels like. At the end of it, you go, I guess it couldn't be anybody else's. But up front, it just, it's a completely different experience. Watching people watch it for the first time is always fun. Watching them after, talking to them afterwards is really nice because they have this expression on their face. That's normally I deal with the expression on people's face of disappointment, you know, where they're like, well, it wasn't chasing Amy, you know. But now, 
now there's a different expression and I'm not accustomed to it. I haven't seen it for a few years and it's been kind of actually kind of sweet. You operated on the movie. I did. Um, that's now that's for, for, for many people who don't follow filmmaking that closely. That's, that's pretty rare to be the DP and the shoot and the shooter. It doesn't really happen that often anymore. It, it doesn't. And you know, it was a union picture, and there are union regulations where you know there's there's a hierarchy where you have a cinematographer and you have a camera operator and you have your camera assistants. And but you and I wanted to do this this way because of kind of the size of the movie, and it was kind of us making a movie similar to the way we made it, you know, 15 years ago. Yes. And so we actually wrote a letter to uh, the union that I'm in and asked them to allow me to operate the eight camera on the on the movie, and they they agreed. Because it was for you know it was for creative reasons we wanted to, it's the way we wanted to make the movie to have somebody else operate it's, it would have been it would have done this picture the way we shot the picture a disservice because you needed it to, it sounds fucking corny but you needed to be one with the camera you know what I'm saying it couldn't be somebody else holding it and you communicating the thought and then just sitting next to me you couldn't have been a passive participant this time around if you look at the movie it looks like you were fucking fucking in there and it was inspiring coming from the last flick on this one, very, very, uh, very little crew so, uh, in, by comparison, but definitely enough. Like you never felt shorthanded, did you? Did you ever feel like, oh fuck, we could use ten more people? Usually not. I mean, we could use some. You know, night exterior is always hard. And initially, uh, you know, there was a lot more night exterior. And then I asked you to to write it for day because I knew we weren't going to have the resources to have the manpower that we needed and the equipment that we needed to do not exterior right yeah. that that much not exterior uh but i was really really fortunate on this movie to i had i put a crew together that was really phenomenal and they had just finished two projects with me we did a pilot together mm. and then we did uh another movie together just prior to this and then this and so everybody came with me and and you know it was it, we were fortunate we were we were fucking lucky to have them because it was low budget there was a lot of work in town and we were under uh, uh, a tier one contract, meaning you know everybody was getting paid a lot less than than what they're usually used to getting paid. Right. Uh, but they they stuck with me and stuck with us, and I think as soon as they saw how we work on this set, they dug it, man. You know, uh, and everybody gave one hundred and ten percent. You know, how do we work on the set? What's different? Because you've been to other shows. I've been to one other show. You know that I didn't direct. That I was just kind of in. What is it that? that you can notice or that you've seen it's laid back man is it's, that what it is you know it's it's a very very friendly environment you know you're you're very appreciative of everybody that that's working there with us and and they they see that and they appreciate it you know what i mean uh but it's it's really a great set because it is so relaxed and laid back and you know we have a good time man yeah we did particularly on this this was fun because you'd shoot shit and and just enjoy the fuck out of what was shot. Like he'd, he'd come back, he'd do something, and he'd come back with a big smile on his face. How'd it look? I'd be like, watch it, watch it, watch it. And we'd sit there and watch it, and be like, that's genius. We would slap ourselves on the back. We were very big mutual fan society on the movie. <laughs> we we're like, we're so fucking smart, Dave. Yeah. Um, but, what did, but it was also because we were doing a lot of shit that we had never done before. That was the joy, the sheer thrill of a new toy box because yeah. we've never had call for it really. Like I, at least I've I've never felt. Some people said, wow, the movie looks so good, like you guys have just grown up. I, I think we're always capable of it. I just don't think I ever needed it before. I usually usually have people sitting there talking to each other. So frenetic camera work isn't really called for. And and 
I don't know. I, th- I just, you know, when the fucking pupil is ready, the master appears, so to speak. And I just think I got to a place where it was like, all right, I'm ready to hear more about the visual or something like that or be more open to it. But we had so much fucking fun because we got to do shit we didn't get to do ever before. Right. And there, there was, you know, doing it independently and just there was nobody looking over our back and there there was you know no no uh other audience that we needed to make happy aside from ourselves, ourselves. basically and and i think that's what that's what made it a lot of fun for me mm. you know one of the things anyway what did you shoot on give we these sh- cats a tutorial real quick we shot on uh, uh a couple of red one cameras with the new sensor the mx sensor uh and that was those cameras were the workhorse mm. uh they did Probably eighty-five to ninety percent of the movie, and then we also employed a uh, a Canon Seven D for uh, some stuff. You know, for its its size and weight, we did some things with the Canon Seven D that that we couldn't have done with the Red. You know, right. some really wild handheld stuff. And you know, with the Five D and the Seven D, uh, it's so light and it's it's so small that usually you want to stabilize that camera because I mean, if you're holding it, you can. Because it's so small and light, you can basically, on a big screen, you can see the heartbeat of the camera operator because, you know, every little move moves that camera around. And so a lot of people say, you got to stabilize that camera. You got to keep it as still as possible. And like so many other things on this movie, we kind of turned that on its head. And so the only time we used that camera, we were moving so fast. And it's really wild and it's really frenetic. And I'm sure you saw some of it in the teaser. Uh, it, it moves and it moves fucking fast. There was, uh, there were well. two, the two most beautiful words I learned on this movie and, and was constantly saying them out loud was skinny shutter. Explain what the skinny shutter is for people. And in the long, I guess the shorthand would be like, it's what the born identity looks like. Don't they kind of shoot that I, shit? I, or is it, or is it Schindler's, uh, not Schindler's list? Um, say, <laughs> perhaps not that. Um, no, Saving Private Ryan. The opening of Saving Private Ryan on the right, beach. It's right. that look of the. It is basically what what it is. It's it's a, a, a more slender shutter angle, which effectively gives you a, a higher shutter speed. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, normally you're shooting 24 frames a second, and your shutter speed is a 48th of a second. So when you when you go to a faster shutter speed, basically each frame is a lot sharper, mm-hmm. and so the illusion of motion is is disintegrated. And it kind of stutters, and it, it really gives you a sense of action and kind of a sense of uneasiness. I think. Yeah. And we started using it mostly two thirds the way through the picture, and and used it a lot. Yeah. And it looks great. It was uh, particularly for like at a certain point, it takes over once we get into a section of the movie where it makes the most sense. Like up until there, it's two songs of it throughout. You could kind of see. Um, it's anything that requires a bit of action, we kind of jump into. But the third of the movie, the whole third of the movie is kind of shot that way. And it does have that gritty kind of, it feels like you're there in the moment. It really kind of gives you this uneasiness about it. The um, Tell the story about the dude uh, from Twitter with the C camera. Because it's so, it's such a cool notion of like, uh, you tell it. Uh, there was a guy, uh, Robert Guthrie, uh, a very good dude. And, uh, he had approached you on Twitter. He hit me up on Twitter. And he, he says, said, I, he had a red camera. Because he heard we were shooting red state on red. And Kevin's like, I don't know, talk to Dave. And so <laughs> he, he hit me up on Twitter and, and I said, I'll, I'll talk to you when we get closer. I'll talk to you when we get closer. And, and I told him what we needed in our package and he didn't have quite enough equipment to supply, 
uh, what we needed for an A or B camera. So we got our cameras from uh, a company, Alternative Rentals, in Culver City. But we also needed a C camera package, and it just it was not fitting in the budget. So I said, I, th- I think I know where we can get one. And I, I hit him back, and I said, hey, man, uh, here's, you know, he wanted to be on set with us and just, just kind of work with us and see how we make a movie. Right. Uh, uh, and in trade for that, he would, he would let us use his camera. So I hit him back, and he basically loaned us our C camera for the run of the show. Right. And we just, you know, this movie, the budget was so tight that every dollar we could save really helped. And, I mean, he hooked us up. And otherwise... We couldn't have had all the gear that we had. I would have had to start, you know, just tearing my package apart and sending stuff back because we couldn't afford it. Right. But because he brought out his camera, it allowed us to have all the equipment we needed in the camera department. And he got to hang out. He was there for the entire... It was a nice trade-off. Like, we got to use his camera, and he hung out for the whole show. Pretty much. He, he had, part of he the had to go back he and work. He went home and, and worked, but uh, then he was there back at the end. Good dude. Yeah. Um, you mentioned him before. We should definitely give him a big shout-out. Jeremy Graham is... Either you're Robin or you're his Robin. I'm not quite sure. Um, he's uh, folks may see him around here, and know him from Smodcastle because uh, we're under the very lights that he hung up, and um, him and and his his lady Missy helped build the place with Matt Cohen. But you've been uh, I worked with him. I think uh, Clerks Two was the first time I worked with him, or no? Well, uh, no, he worked on Chasing Amy. In what role? Not in the capacity he has now. No, Regan Gaffer is where I first met him. Where are you, Jeremy? Hi. Uh, when you about to make eye contact with him, like before you talk about him, you're not fucking a man. You're just talking about him. Uh, that's the first place I met him, and I think he just did a few days on on chasing Amy, and then he moved to L.A. shortly after I had moved to L.A. Uh-huh. And we started working together, and you know we've we've been together for a long time. He's he's gaffed everything we've done aside from Cop Out and Reaper since Clerks Two. Right, right, right. Now explain what gaffing is. For those that don't know, and and that includes me, because still to this day, I think it has something to do with lights. It does. the The gaffer is is yes. That would <laughs> that would count on Jeopardy. I would get the win on that you, question. You got it. The gaffer is the head of the electric department. Mm-hmm. So basically, it sounds like a very technical job, and it is, but it's also a very creative job. He he is basically uh, my right hand man in in lighting the set. Totally. And uh, fortunately. You know, I was operating, so he stayed in the tent and and kept his eyes on the on the big HD monitor the whole time. Explain the tent to those that don't know. The tent when you're shooting dig- digital, uh, I almost always work with a DIT, a digital imaging technician. Uh, ours was Tim Nagasawa. He's amazing. He did uh, the last two projects with me before this too. Um, and basically, Tim would set up the camera how I asked him to set up. We we did some things where we added a little contrast and we lowered the saturation of the cameras. And, uh, and then Tim and Jeremy, P. Drinko, the, the key grip, they would sit in the tent and just make sure everything was cool because when I'm operating, you know, the, the viewfinder on the red camera is, is not as great an image as they have in the tent. Right. So their eyes would be watching my back, getting my back in the tent watching the big HD monitor. Um, yeah, it was weird. And that's a position that didn't really exist. On, on the last flick I did, that was only because of the digital camera or you did Correct. that on cop out? No. No. And that's only when you work red, or is it other cam- digital cameras as well? I use it with all digital cameras. Um, the uh, ex- ex- so so gaffing essentially. Let me give you an example of really strong gaffing. Um, I was there's a shot in the movie where there's some nice there's a beautiful fucking sunbeam coming through a room, and the only reason I knew it, and I knew it wasn't a real sunbeam, I knew it was created because it was shitty out that day, and we were in the dark. 
But the only reason I saw the sunbeam was because uh, a gun cuts through it at one point. Um, it's in the bedroom sequence. And I remember, like, it was even on the monitor I could see it. And I was just like, oh, my God, dude. Did you see that fucking sunbeam? The gun cut the sunbeam? That shit looks dope. And Dave was like, that's Jeremy's sunbeam. And I found Jeremy. And I was like, you make excellent sun. Um, <laughs> he's, uh, he's a fucking filmmaker. And that's the thing we learned on, well, I learned on this movie. And maybe you knew it, but I, it was something that was kind of passed on to me by Scotty in the props department. At one point, I was given Scotty props, props for about something. I was like, man, you did a great job with this, blah, blah, blah. And um, he was like, well, man, I mean, I'm a filmmaker. That's what I do. And I was like, my God, that's right. You are a filmmaker, too. He's like, we're all filmmakers. And every one of us is making a tiny version of our movie within your movie. And uh, Jeremy's a fucking filmmaker. You are hands down a fucking filmmaker. I've said it before. I'll say it till the day I die. I I can't shoot anything without you. If I was going to fuck my wife on camera, I would be like, Dave's got to shoot it. Um, so thank you for doing that and you did a bang up job on this flick and people are going to see that over the next few weeks and, and then hopefully at Sundance if we get in and eventually when we get it out into the world thanks for hanging out this week on Red State of the Union Q&A we'll see you next week with more fucking bloody fun see you later thanks guys This is so weird there's no exit music, so I'm j I am do not know what to do. Yeah, thank you. <laughs>